This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. On that third mega trend, where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel, they're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. COVID-19 is having a huge impact on the behavior of shoppers, which is necessitating a response from retailers and accelerating a lot of innovation in the industry. Communicating with customers is more important than ever, and joining me to talk about all of these things is John Andrews. He's the CEO of Photofy. John, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, my, my first question just kind of gets to those behavioral changes like I was mentioning. So what, what are some of the behavioral changes we're seeing from shoppers as a result of COVID-19 and maybe just where the market was heading anyways? Sure. Yeah, I, I think um, shopper behavior changes is getting pulled forward, uh, you know, maybe five years. Uh, you know, in March of this year, uh, fully a third of U.S. households um, try are, are used uh, grocery delivery or grocery pickup, and that is a massive jump over the you know eight to ten percent of folks who would utilize those services prior. And I think you'll see some of that behavior will just become the norm. You know, I'm, I'm having a conversation uh, today's my mother's birthday. Happy birthday, mom! <laughs> uh, and having just having a conversation with her today as I, as I called her to wish her happy birthday. And she was telling me about three different services that she has tried. And as far as I know, she had never tried a grocery delivery or pickup service before. So, sure. she, you know, she, she had uh, she had tried Wegmans, uh, shipped from uh, uh, which is a, now owned by Target, and um, the grocery pickup at, at Harris Teeter, which is a, a Kroger banner. And she was comparing and contrasting those for me. So I'm like, wow, I just got a, a major education. But it, but it was amazing because I could hear in her voice and, and knew in her mindset that the daily or, or whatever frequency grocery shopping that she had done before is probably a thing of the past. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Just the, in seeing the changes that, that grocery stores and, and, and retailers are making. And, you know, I, I think I think about this a lot during this time, during this this coronavirus type era that we're in, just how many changes that we see that feel temporary just to adjust to our current circumstances that will endure beyond this and become more of the norm, right? So, you know, what, what changes do you think that you see from, from grocery stores and, and places like that that feel like temporary adjustments actually will become part of the norm moving forward that, that uh, I suppose, shape our everyday life and just become something that we generally accept? Sure. Uh, it's a great question. And I think the, the uh, first answer is nobody really knows, uh, but, but you, we're getting some hints, right? So, you know, I've been a brand marketer, a, a retail marketer for a long time, uh, 20 plus years probably. And, you know, the, the primary factor for most people in, in that time for choosing a grocery store was geography. Uh, we tend to shop at the grocery store nearest us. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's nearby. Uh, we know it. Uh, becomes part of our community, part of our, our life, whatever. It, if you think about what's happening right now, I don't really care where my groceries come from, right? So, you know, Whole, Whole Foods is probably my grocer of choice, but probably the least 
you know, in terms of my trips, uh, it, it's probably the comp comprises the least number of trips, uh, mainly because it's much further from my house than my Harris Teeter, which is right outside my neighborhood. Um, if somebody's delivering my groceries or kind of even if I'm doing pickup, I, I care less about that, right? So, so that whole primary uh, source of share of wallet for a retailer, and you can think about that almost for any industry now, right? So uh, one, of, one of the articles I was reading today talks about how restaurants have laid off, you know, just thousands of people, of course, in, in COVID, uh, unfortunately, in, in the past few weeks. But there are there's a huge rise in uh, the term this article used was ghost restaurants. I've called them dark restaurants. It, it's restaurants that are not places you can go and sit down or even even uh, do do, do uh, pick up from. They are simply preparation and delivery facilities, and you're, you're seeing these things grow. You can imagine um, uh, you know big chains like. Uh, McDonald's in the future have a centralized delivery and, and, and preparation location that is not an actual restaurant, but it's really focused on how do we deliver the McDonald's experience? How do we deliver hot food in the best way possible and the most efficient way possible to, to people's homes? Because the McDonald's on the street corner near me is is not going to matter as much if I'm a McDonald's fan. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I I think when I think about this, I think that this probably necessitates a change or um, maybe uh, just a difference in the way that grocery stores at least approach their messaging uh, to their to their customers and to the people that could be prospective shoppers, right? So um, simply the the fact that shopper behavior is changing means that maybe the messaging needs to change as well to let people know about the various services or uh, to entice people that uh, maybe they weren't reaching out to before because the the uh, the target was the immediate area surrounding that particular grocery store. But now, if you're looking a little bit more broad and looking towards these other services that you provide, like uh, grocery pickup or grocery delivery, then, then the messaging probably needs to change. Yeah, I, I think 100%. Um, I, I mentioned to you as we were we were doing some prep for the show, my business partner, Ted Rubin, and I are writing a book called Retail Relevancy. And the the entire premise of the book is, is exactly that. Um, not only for grocers, but think about brands and brand discovery. So, you know, if I'm a, a consumer, uh, you know, a consumer packaged goods brand um, for literally... 50 years, the way that people discovered my product has been a combination of media advertising. So think about somebody like Procter & Gamble, and then the fact that I tripped over one of their displays when I was walking around a store for a new product like Swiffer, right? <laughs> right. Um, that product discovery cycle and, and product launch cycle is now going to be drastically different in, in terms of building the awareness uh, and, and the preference for products and for new products uh, and discovery for it, it's just going to be fundamentally changed because they're the the people walking through a physical store uh, the, that model you know on a on a week by week basis that model is just not going to exist anymore. So how do I how do I think about that as you pointed out as a as a retailer? 
you know, I, I may shop from a grocer that I never go in their store. And, and likely, you know, my daughter, who's 14, will never go in a grocery store. I mean, you know, um, or, or if she does, it'll be a very infrequent and experiential based thing. Um, wow, that really changes the way that, that she discovers and interacts and builds loyalty to brands as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day that I, I vividly remember my grandparents sitting around their, their kitchen table, you know, cutting out coupons that they would get in the mail and things like that and deciding, you know, uh, where they were going to shop based on where they got the best coupons and, and, and whatnot. And now it seems um, like an idea of something that, that that probably won't happen as much because nowadays people interact much more and discover brands and, you know, discover sales and decide what they're going to buy mainly online. Right. And so, um, not just, uh, you know, how they discover products, but how you decide where you're going to shop. Maybe that decision-making process is taken away from, you know, the, the, the coupons and things like that you would get in the mail or in newspapers and shifts more towards a social media online type aspect. Right. I think so. And, and I think you see, you know, you see a lot of that taking place already. You know, when I think of, of discovery for brands now, you know, you just think of, of uh, media channels like, like Instagram and, and you, you think of, of uh, you, you know, things that are, are not media channels that I use, but huge media channels for, for younger folks, uh, you know, TikTok and, and Snapchat are both huge brand influence channels now. So you think about the integration of those channels into, um, you know, one of the things we talk about it in our book is is channel uh, media and payments that are all morphing into, you know, a new kind of paradigm for for retail. I'm a um, a big uh, Nike 270 fan. It's one of my one of my favorite shoes, and and I have three or four pairs of them in in different colorways. Um, Nike does a masterful job of targeting me on Instagram with a shoppable post when they have new colorways for 270s. And, and I just think about that as a marketer, as a very different way for me to, um, to interact with that brand because they're not giving me an ad for that product most of the time they are talking to me, right? They're posting, they're being Nike, right? They're, they're posting content about um, sports and the interaction of sports, but occasionally uh, they are hitting me with that ad. And then Nike is de facto the retailer at that point. Uh, and, and what really benefits them is that first party knowledge of learning about my purchasing habits, learning about my media interaction habits and, and Nike saves the 30 or 40 or 50% of its margin that it would have to share with a traditional retailer in that case. So I, I think that that kind of model will become very prevalent for, for many brands in the future. So then when we, when we talk about retailers and reaching out and communicating in a, in a different way and kind of changing the messaging, what tools are available uh, to be able to do that? And how do you put those tools in the hands of, uh, of these brands, of these retail outlets that uh, enables them to be able to communicate in a different way? Sure. I, I think there, that there are, are, uh, there are a wide variety of things. I, I think traditional media still has its play. 
Um, you, you probably, uh, as well as I, you know, I haven't gotten a physical newspaper in a decade probably, but, uh, I still get a circular from time to time from, uh, from, from different retailers in my mailbox. Uh, not sure that I use that, but you know, it's, uh, (laughs) it's still there. So you, you think about those traditional tools. I think some kind of standard uh, uh, digital tools are, are part of everybody's toolbox today. Email is still highly effective um, uh, for for a lot of folks. Uh, text and and anything that that uh, is more of a direct connection, and then, and then obviously lots uh, of uh, there are lots of possibilities, especially with more personalized conversation on on social and digital channels. What I think media and how I think media fundamentally changes today is moving away from a more selling oriented uh, uh, kind of proposition to a uh, removal of friction or, or an adding of experience uh, proposition. So anything that you can do in Nike's case, uh, you know, where it is, uh, prompting me for a shoe that it already knows that I like, and, and then it's really making the purchase process pretty easy because I can I can transact I, I can make that entire transaction within Instagram where I already am, so I don't have to go anywhere else. Uh, is is pretty cool, right? So extrapolate that to retailers that have lots of uh, uh, you know have these armies of employees. Um, now I've got a, a new ability to be able to connect with people. You know, everybody's kind of a content creator. Um, in in you know, if you you know make a Facebook post, if you comment on a on a, a, a article, if you reply to a tweet, you're a content creator, right? You know, I mean, we think about you know maybe think about content creation as in a different form, but essentially you are creating content. Um, Retailers have these, and franchises have these massive uh, uh, networks uh, of employees that are already creating content. They can provide them tools with which to make content at a local level about the things that are going on in their stores or their locations using branded assets that I think add to that overall volume of kind of traditional and digital media as, as we've known it, you know, for the, for the past, uh, you know, 20, 30 years. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a great point and putting, putting content creation in the hands of, of those people, um, that can do that on a more local level seems like a, a really, really great idea for, for brands that want to, I suppose brands are going to be concerned about maintaining a brand identity and in maybe maintaining some level of control. Is there a way to maybe mitigate some of the risk that also comes along with that, that, that brands might be interested in, in trying to just make sure that they protect themselves on social media as well? Definitely. And I, and I believe that's one of the biggest concerns, right? So, so I, I think if you're a brand, you're, you're a retailer, you're worried about, oh my gosh, what happens when we, we lose control of, of, uh, of what our brand messaging and, and brand activity is? And, and I think about it a, a little bit differently, but I think I'll, uh, actually a little bit more progressively about protecting your brand. People are going to create content anyway, right? So why not give them tools? Why not give them training and direction 
and, and then more importantly, why not set up a framework that encourages them to make the kind of, kind of content that you would want to see, um, which I also believe protects your brand more than just doing nothing at all, or or, or even um, e- even in some some cases discouraging brand content, branded content being made. Mm-hmm. Um, what we believe too is uh, th- that there can be a continuum of content creation, so you can give people really easy tools to make the kinds of content that you would like them to make, uh, and, and then give them some freedom to to do so, but with some of their own authenticity. Um, you know, I could speak from our experience at, at Photify. We have, we have many brands uh, in, in the direct selling space, in the, in the franchise space, in the fitness space that um, use our tool. It's a mobile-based tool that, that to give folks um, templates, to give them creative overlays, to give them dynamic templates, which automatically enter their personal information, any kinds of things that that you could see um, for them to be able to make content for their own channels. And I think there are a couple of benefits. One is the brand still maintains brand control, right? The second is all of the content that is created is created in a dashboard that gives the brand visibility to see what kind of content is created and where it is shared. And then finally, I think what it does is it empowers people to go, wow, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. In fact, I'm actually being encouraged to do this. And I would like to make content to support my store, my location, my business in, in that. And, and I can give you a couple examples. Uh, Lifetime Fitness is one of our, our partners, and it uses our platform so that it's yoga instructors and personal trainers and club managers can make content about their local club, or if I'm a, a personal trainer, maybe I, I make content about my, um, you know, per, my schedule that week that I can share on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever channel that I communicate with my network anyway. And, and I think that really helps to expand the overall presence of, of Lifetime Fitness across digital channels and, and layer up to ladder, I'm sorry, ladder up to the the content that it's creating at the national and regional level. Right. And I wonder if one of the the maybe ancillary benefits of this is when you put trust in employees and give them the tools necessary to accomplish something like this, you're also maybe giving them a little bit more stake, giving them a little bit more investment in what they're doing and in their position. And showing that trust can also maybe come back as a, as a benefit to, to you because you have more engaged employees that are excited about what they're getting to do and feel like they have a little bit more ownership in their position and in their particular stores because they've been entrusted with this responsibility. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I, I really think that it becomes an integral part of, of any, um, you, you know, employee engagement program, because you're right. Uh, if, if I am a, uh, you, you know, I work in the floral department at my local grocer, I have more contact and more, inform- more integration with a customer on a personal level than anybody in my company ever will, you know? So, you know, and I, I tend to probably know some of my regular customers. I certainly know the things that are going on in, in my uh, in my community and, and in my location. And my ability to be able to communicate 
the kinds of things that that I'm doing as a floral designer in in my Harris Teeter, uh, yeah, I think definitely contribute to to job satisfaction, to to a sense of purpose, uh, you know, and and belonging to the overall mission of the, of the brand. Um, I really believe in a, a short time frame, two to three years, that content creation is probably going to be part of most job descriptions for customer facing um, people. That's really fascinating. And, you know, it, it's, it is something that I believe in wholeheartedly is, is when you have employees, you have a base of people who are creating content all the time, like you mentioned, you know, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or any of the social media outlets, that everybody these days is, is pretty well versed in various outlets that they are creating content for. So why not leverage that? Why not utilize that to your benefit as a brand? And so this, this uh, idea makes a lot of sense to me moving forward because of just the the direction things are moving, um, the way that people interact online, and the way that I, I think shoppers expect to be communicated with in in a manner that they're comfortable. And a lot of that means social media, and a lot of that means um, you know seeing messaging from people that they know and seeing messaging from people that maybe understand what it's like to shop the way that they shop and that sort of thing. So th- this seems like a, a really intelligent strategy to me. I, I think I would uh, I, I would agree wholeheartedly with you, and I, I think you have a new workforce coming into uh, to play today that are content creators um, first. So if you you know I, I learn a lot from from our daughter who is 14 years old. Uh, she and her cohort are are 100% content creators. That's how they communicate, and I think that's very different, even from the generation just in front of them. The, it is there were there were a lot of people creating some content, but most of them were content consumers. You think about TikTok today and Snapchat; those are creation platforms. So they are already your point. They're already pre-wired to create content. And they're very, um, uh, you know, they're they're very conscientious about the quality of the content that, that they create. I've I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to to be included in a couple of my daughter's TikToks, which almost never happens because <laughs> she knows that she's going to have to do twenty or thirty takes with me until I get it to the quality where she wants it. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I'm always honored because, you know, my, my, uh, initial takes are, are not good enough for, uh, for prime time. Yeah. You know, as, as a, uh, as a millennial, I suppose it's, it's been interesting watching new social media platforms come along and see just the absolute mastery with which younger generations pick those up and are able to then, you know, create incredible things. So I think you're absolutely right that a workforce is, uh, you know, there's a, there's a generation entering the workforce that is well-versed in this, that feels comfortable with it. So put the tools in their hands, let them do it and let them uh, be ambassadors for your brand. And and I think they will because mm-hmm. they they're they're going to want to. And I think it's it's also something that um, you can make. You know, everyone's not going to want to do this, right? And and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't I would never force anyone to make content because I think it would be terrible and it would it would feel forced. But I think for people that want to, yeah, absolutely, give them the tools, empower them, also give them the framework. You know, give them the uh, give them the training. Hey, this is the kind of content that we would like, you know, to, to see produced. 
And, and I think that what people will find is they will explode the level uh, 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 and reach, uh, uh, the scale and the, the reach and the engagement of their content. You know, what we see at Photify is uh, content that's created by our communities receives six to 8% engagement. And, and it's rather intuitive in, in why. And you think about that compared to what branded engagement uh, is, it's, it's, it's massive. It's my network. Right. So if I'm sharing something with with my LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or wherever, you know, I participate, um, the likelihood is the interaction is going to be much higher because it is my network. Right. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and I'm only going to share things with my network that I feel comfortable about. And so there, there's an authenticity there that a brand cannot replicate in the same way. Absolutely. Well, this has been a really fun and exciting look at, at what the future of retail and um, what the future of communicating as a retail brand looks like. And so John Andrews, CEO of Photify, thank you so much for joining me and uh, talking about this today. Yeah, thank you, Tyler. I really appreciate the, the time today. Absolutely. This was uh, an absolute blast. And everybody, thank you for listening to this episode. Of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for listening.